This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 15, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Justice Stevens' expansive view of government power poses a challenge for a Democrat-controlled Senate that will have to defend his record in pursuit of a replacement. And with the just-passed Obamacare legislation now expanding further the abused Commerce Clause, what's a vulnerable incumbent senator to do? Roger Pallon, Vice President for Legal Affairs at the Cato Institute, offers his thoughts. Well, to put this discussion in political context, I can't imagine that Democrats in the Congress who are up for re-election could have been terribly happy by the announcement by Justice John Paul Stevens that he would be retiring in June, because that means that they're going to have to face a Senate confirmation situation over the summer that is going to bring to the fore a number of issues, none more important after Obamacare, then are there any limits on Congress's power to regulate, redistribute, and order one-sixth of the economy and order people to buy insurance from private companies, failing which they'll have to pay a fine, order states to set up insurance exchanges, All of these issues are under challenge right now by 19 states, challenge on constitutional grounds. And so it's not unlikely that a lot of this is going to come before the Senate Judiciary Committee over the summer, and Democrats are going to have to defend some fairly unpopular views, not least of which is, are there any limits on government? What specifically in Stephen's career do we see that uh, that creates that challenge, at least in, in his work as a Supreme Court justice? Well, there is no shortage of cases that evidence the fact that Stevens is a government man. He was someone who came of age during the New Deal. He reflects the ideas of the New Deal, namely that federal power is vast and that uh, the judiciary... Um, seemingly inconsistently, can reach decisions based upon evolving social values rather than the text of the Constitution. And so we look at cases like Kelo to start with. That was the property rights decision coming out of the 2005 court in which uh, the court found that the city of New London, Connecticut could take title to the home of Suzette Kelo transfer it to a private developer who promised upscale building on the land and therefore greater taxes for the city. That, of course, created an uproar in the country, and there followed some 40-plus states that revised their eminent domain law. That's just one example, but there are many others. For example, the uh, gun control case of two years ago, the Second Amendment decision by the Supreme Court, that individuals had a right to own a handgun for self-defense in the home. That is a decision that Stevens dissented from. He wrote the blistering dissent. And that's, of course, one that's going to be politically unpopular out in the land beyond the Beltway. Also in 2005, you mentioned the Kelo case. Stevens wrote for the majority in the Rach case. And that ties in fairly neatly with this challenge that states are engaged in uh, against uh, the health care reform that passed this year. 
Yes, the first two cases I mentioned, Kilo and Heller, involved individual rights. Even more basic in the Constitution scheme of things is the question of power. How much power does the federal government have? Since the New Deal, the court has read the Commerce Clause as saying that Congress can regulate virtually anything and everything. And indeed, we saw that in the Raich case. But let me put this in context. In 1995, for the first time in 58 years, the Rehnquist Court held, when it was faced with a challenge to the Gun-Free School Zones Act of 1990, that Congress could not regulate anything and everything. And this was an example, namely guns at school, that belonged to the state of Texas, in this case, to regulate, not to the federal government. So it awakened Washington from its dogmatic slumbers, so to speak, and for the first time found a limit under the Commerce Clause. Five years later, in the Morrison decision, it expanded that finding. Then five years later, in 2005, in the Raich case, the court held, Stevens writing for the majority, that Congress had the power to prohibit Angel Raich from growing marijuana in her own flower box for her own consumption for medicinal purposes under California's medical marijuana provisions. In other words, Congress had the power under its power to regulate interstate commerce, to regulate something that was not commerce, much less interstate commerce. And so with that decision, one can say that there are virtually no limits on Congress's power to regulate, unless that regulation runs afoul of one of the fundamental or preferred rights that the Constitution has found, which it did not in this case. And so this is the kind of jurisprudence of essentially unlimited federal power that has come before us in the matter of Obamacare. Because here again, what you've got is an effort by Congress to regulate the most intimate of human affairs, namely medical matters, and to do so under its power to regulate commerce. The American people have raised serious concerns about this claim for the scope of power. Nineteen states have challenged it constitutionally, and this issue will be before the Senate Judiciary Committee, I guarantee you, this summer when a new nominee is up for confirmation. Roger Pallon is Vice President for Legal Affairs at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.